Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 130 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Alex Opies. Alex Opies joined Social Venture Australia's impact investing team in 2013 and helps build and finance social enterprises. He's responsible for investing SBA's $15 million diversified impact fund. In addition to this, he leads SBA's work supporting social enterprises to win and deliver large social procurement contracts. Alex also Alex also helped establish and is founding director of Vanguard Laundry Services, a leading Australian social enterprise. Prior to SVA, Alex worked as a strategy consultant at McKinsey & Co, specialising in mergers and acquisitions. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Alex's insights into impact investing and social innovation, we'll get his thoughts and perspective on the social enterprise sector, and we'll learn more about his ongoing projects with Social Ventures Australia. So Alex, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Tom. Great to be with you. Likewise. So to kick things off, Alex, could you share a little bit about your background, please, and what led you to working in impact investing in the social enterprise sector? Absolutely. So I started my career as a management consultant um, with a firm called McKinsey. um, And basically, uh, my job there was kind of helping businesses improve. um, And that was through a combination of, I guess, analysis, strategy, making PowerPoint slides and and racking up frequent flyer points. Um, And and I guess my, my thoughts on that were, how could I, you know, I thought, what if I can use my skills and, and efforts um, to work on projects that were more meaningful and, and really could help to, to kind of create a better society? And, and so that's what um, attracted me to, to, towards social enterprise. Fantastic. So as Director of Impact Investing at SBA, then, what sort of projects are you involved in and what is it that gets you up in the morning? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess to summarise my role, it's really around helping to build and and finance um, some of Australia's leading social enterprises. So some of the projects that I've been involved in um, on the, I guess, the building side, um, uh, helping to build Vanguard Laundry and take that from being, I guess, an idea through to to sort of executing it and working very closely with Luke Terry throughout that process. Um, and then on the financing side of things, been lucky enough to work with a whole bunch of different outstanding social enterprises from Street to the Christie Centre in Mildura, Ability Enterprises up in Toowoomba, and, and most recently um, a business called Maths Pathway based out of Victoria. And I guess in terms of what gets me out of bed in the morning, I guess one of the great pleasures of, of the work that I do is getting to work with some of the most talented and dedicated people in any field, I guess, and who are really kind of doing their lives work. Um, so whether it be 
affect Scott at street, you know, her vision and, and her, you know, the, the, the force of her personality. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke Terry at Vanguard with his sort of entrepreneurial zeal, um, yeah. even Florence Davidson at, at the Christie Centre with her sort of steely determination. It's, I guess that's what I love to, to do is to kind of be able to work with some of these amazing people. Absolutely. And there's some amazing people you just mentioned there and some of which we've spoken to before. And I also had the pleasure of working alongside Luke Terry. So we, we share a common link there. So Absolutely. Alex, how, how have you seen then working within this impact investment space? How have you seen the movement change over the last five years or so? And, and where do you see it heading into the future? So I would say it, it's a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. I think there's been really good progress in some areas and I'll kind of call out a few of those and there's been some other areas where I think progress has not been as fast as it should have been. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the, the good progress, I think, you know, from the perspective of institutional investors, that is superannuation funds and insurers, I think they are increasingly putting their money where their mouth is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and here I'm talking about impact investing in, in a fairly broad context, so broader than just the financing of social enterprises, but really looking at more broadly how people's lifetime savings are, um, are invested um, and thinking about all of the sort of the positive and negative externalities associated with those investment decisions. So, you know, a couple of examples in the institutional investor space, Hester um, is an Australian superannuation fund, um, which now has a, a $70 million mandate, which is managed by SVA in the impact investing space. Mm. And that's funding large-scale projects. Um, we, we recently funded one down in Tasmania, which is Australia's first suburban village, which is designed specifically for people with dementia. Mm. Um, so it's it's got 15 or so tailored houses it's got a supermarket cinema cafe gardens um all, all sort of set around this um sort of suburb, suburban village type setting yeah so that you know i think there are really promising shoots there there is i think some really good progress being made in the, the social procurement space and that is starting to translate into sort of increased demand for capital as as the social enterprises and so on look to scale up to meet these contracts. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I think social impact bonds are increasing in number and are evolving as, as governments sort of tend to explore new ways of, um, of funding solutions to, to kind of really challenging problems. Mm. So I think there's, there's some of the sort of good progress areas. I think just to kind of quickly call out a couple of the areas where I think we haven't made as much progress as, as possible. I think in the, the the sort of social enterprise space, I think that there is sort of still a kind of limited amount of capital which is available for early stage social enterprises. And I think that kind of continues to be a problem. Mm. I, I think in the last few years, there have been some really outstanding sort of investments made and, and um, capital raised, typically uh, at the bigger sort of scale. I think, you know, recently I can think of the Food Connect shed in, in Brisbane. Yep. Um, you've got uh, Matt Farlett of Acre who um, led a sort of $2.5 million community buyback of the old Beechworth jail and, and even sort of Vanguard Laundry. I think, though, that sort of some of the, the the key supports for this early stage investment are perhaps even slower than five years ago. So, for instance, five years ago, we had the government's um, 
SEDIF program. That was a social enterprise development and investment fund, mm. um, which was a sort of a $20 million government fund, which was designed to stimulate impact investing, much of which has now been invested. And, and um, there's kind of, there hasn't been a follow on in that, in that field. So mm. I think, look, there, there are some really good green shoots, but there are areas where um, I think we can do more. And, uh, you know, I think anyone working in the space is always trying to kind of grow it and and, and so, um, you know, feels a sense of frustration when things aren't as, as fast as they would like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you've, you've named a couple of really nice potential areas and opportunities there as well, right? So, so do you see any other really strong opportunities for the social enterprise sector more broadly in Australia? And, if so, what do you believe is needed to really build on the current momentum? Yeah, one of the things that I t- touched on in that previous response was the, the idea of social procurement. Yeah. Um, and hopefully that's something that's familiar to most of your listeners. But for, for those that aren't familiar, um, social procurement is, is typically where businesses or governments um, purchase a good or service from a social enterprise and in doing so they get not just the service but they create a social good that goes along with it so mm-hmm. that might be creating employment opportunities for people that are otherwise excluded from the labor force or it might be uh, purchasing in in a sort of from a fair trade supplier for instance mm-hmm. and and increasing incomes to farmers so the, in the the social procurement space I think there is a huge opportunity for social enterprises, typically in the business-to-business space or business-to-government. Some of the really uh, exciting opportunities which have have been sort of popping up in the last couple of years, and I think there's a lot of momentum around them, are, first of all, down in Victoria, um, the government has introduced social procurement targets for at least one major infrastructure project and Mm. has started to encourage um, or require that bidders put together a social procurement strategy for for others. Um, So there's certainly a lot of progress there. And and more recently, the Victorian government has introduced a whole-of-government social procurement policy, which is basically asking each of the departments uh, of government to come up with their own strategies for how they can incorporate social enterprises and and, um, various other minority businesses into their supply chain. And I think what that does is then creates a whole lot of new business opportunities for social enterprises and and that then allows them to, to really scale up and, and to, to sort of include, you know, do more of their mission, whether that be employing um, people that, that are otherwise excluded or some other form of, um, of social mission. Mm. In terms of what's needed to build this, I think there's a couple of things um, just quickly off the top of my head. I, I think that perhaps more can be done to really turbocharge that demand. I would love to see, for instance, a a voluntary social procurement target um, agreed to by Corporate Australia. I Mm. I think that there's um, real potential for that to happen. I think that on the supply side of things, I think that there's a lot of kind of capacity building support which is needed to help to grow that, that, that the capabilities of social enterprises yeah I'm I'm a bit of an evidence nerd so I think that there's still a a lack of 
really good, solid, independent evidence which looks at the costs and the benefits of social procurement. Um, I've got a sort of a gut feeling and a, a hunch that there is a really positive case to be made, but I think to really entrench it into policy um, on a long-term basis, we need that sort of solid evidence base. Um, so they're just a couple of the things that I'd love to see done to, to really kind of make the most of the social procurement opportunity. Mm, fantastic. Just yesterday we spoke to Matthew Taylor, who's been working with the Victorian government in that social procurement space, and and he was explaining some of the ins and outs of that as well. So that'll be uh, another good listen for our listeners. But just to change topics slightly, Alex, when you work with social entrepreneurs in helping them to get investment, where do you typically see them falling short? So I think the way to think about investment readiness is as a sort of a spectrum. Uh, you've got different investors that are willing to invest at different points along the spectrum. So at that really early stage, it's typically the sort of the three Fs, family, friends and fools. Mm. Um, that, that, that's kind of common. Um, and right at the other end of the spectrum, you've got sort of big institutional investors like superannuation funds that it, that have a, a lower risk tolerance and that they are, um, are looking for, for larger investments that, that tick more of the investment readiness boxes. Yeah. And, and then obviously there are investors all the way along that spectrum and some that invest in, in earlier stage organisations and some that, that prefer later stage organisations. I, I guess to, to sort of um, share, you know, SVA, we um, we typically look to invest in social enterprises that have about $500,000 of annualised revenue or about $40,000 per month of revenue. Yeah. Um, and what that sort of means in, in terms of what we look for is that means organisations that, that have developed a, a product or an offering that have gone out there to market and have tested and have got some of those early customers. Mm. Many times they might have already pivoted, so they've uh, they've refined their ideas and they've gone back to market with it, and they've they've come up with something that they think is 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 really capable of sort of scaling up, and it's that kind of growth stage in capital that we look for. Yep. So, in terms of the sort of the investors that that sorry the the um, social entrepreneurs that. Um, approach us that it are not quite right. I would say it's those that that are sort of typically earlier stage than what we are able to invest in. Mm. Um, so the the sort of the key things I think that that I would advise social entrepreneurs to to get out there and do, um, if possible, on on a really kind of in a capital light way, yeah. um, is to to get out there and prototype a product. Um, have you know test out does the market really want what I am uh, what I'm offering and and modify it before investing a whole lot of capital mm. come up with a sensible financial model you know in a previous life I was a, a sort of an entrepreneur myself and uh, people were always used to tell me that business plans take twice as long and cost twice as much as as what you've got written in your in your presentation yeah. but it's true and I think that um, uh, by being too aggressive with some of the assumptions in the financial model you can and you, you can land in hot water mm. um, and and then the final point I would say is 
really start to think about how you would go about measuring your social impact. And there are some great tools and frameworks out there for doing that. There's some great insights there, Alex. So you've spoken about some really inspiring other social enterprises in Australia at the start of the podcast. Are there any other projects or initiatives that you've come across recently which are really creating some great positive social change? Yes. Uh, look, I guess, as I said earlier, one, one of the privileges of the job is, is sort of getting to see quite a broad range of, of really inspiring um, projects. And so a couple that come to mind, um, first of all, recently, I've, I've spent some time in um, South Australia and uh, I spent quite a lot of time there with some Aboriginal corporations that are working on really interesting projects mm. that involve the sustainable harvesting of all sorts of native products, um, things like seafoods and native flowers. And these are, I think, just fantastic businesses. Um, they're, they're, first of all, they're, they're sort of, you know, I guess, relatively uh, attractive from a business perspective, high margins and, and growing markets, yeah. but they are creating Aboriginal jobs and training on country. Um, they're driving economic independence. They're getting native foods and, and flowers out there um, into the houses and, and, and restaurants of uh, and, and really getting them into the sort of the, the popular culture and, mm. and the tastes of the country. And yeah. I find that just really inspiring, that that sort of nice nexus between uh, working on country, sustainability, economic independence, jobs and training. I, I, I think that that's a, a really interesting area and, and I think I'd like to see more of that kind of continue to develop and I'm sure it will. Mm. Um, so th- that, that's really inspiring for me. Um, I think in the other thing is around the social procurement space. I've been lucky enough to sort of speak recently with a number of outstanding organisations that are doing really great things. And just to sort of name a couple of them, I think there's organisations like Outlook Environment, um, which has is operating a bunch of the land transfer stations down in Melbourne mm-hmm. um, and is winning a lot of the work through the um, the major infrastructure projects in Victoria and creating a significant number of jobs. And, and I think that's really inspiring going out there and seeing that. Yeah. Probably a bit biased here, but Vanguard Laundry as well. Uh, we've sort of really started to hit our straps and, and we've transitioned about 15 staff to new jobs beyond Vanguard in the last six months alone. So mm. we're really starting to to sort of impact on a significant number of people's lives. Yeah, that's a fantastic project, that one, and, and the other one you mentioned too. So thanks for sharing those. So to finish things off then, Alex, could you please recommend a few great books or blogs or podcasts to our listeners? Yeah, so uh, the, the thing that I've been doing a bit, recently is trying to learn a bit more about Aboriginal history and culture. Um, I think looking back to my school education, there is just a huge gaping hole there in terms of my knowledge of that area. So I've been reading a couple of classics um, like Henry Reynolds' um, book, The Other Side of the Frontier, Mm. um, which I think is a really good sort of starting point for people wanting to sort of understand the, the sort of the um, sort of basic situation pre and, and post settlement. Yeah. 
um, European settlement, that is. We've recently been doing a sort of a, actually a an online learning course, for, which is run by the Centre for Cultural Competence Australia. It's a, uh, it's a, it's an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander cultural competent course. And while it's not really a book, it's, it's more of an online multimedia thing. Mm. It's just been a really rich and detailed, um, well-researched and, and it's really compelling and it's just been great to sort of sort of see and learn so much in, via different ways. Yeah. Um, and finally, so I'm a bit of a, a sort of a Paul Keating and, and both a Paul Keating and a Kerry O'Brien tragic. Um, so uh, I recommend, I've just sort of recently finished Keating by Kerry O'Brien um, and I, I found that Keating's vision for a, a reconciled modern Australia was really compelling and, and you know, would think that many modern politicians would be well served reading that that sort of book, which, you know, although those ideas are not new, um, I think they're still yet to be implemented. So I found that um, really inspiring. Fantastic. Well, I'll throw some links to those different books and resources at the bottom of the article, Alex. So, Alex, thanks so much for for being so generous with your time and and insights today. I very much appreciate it. And we'll certainly look forward to tracking your journey and, and speaking again in the future. Thanks for having me, Tom. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.